1: Hello, once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Thursday, January 7th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from Brad Powers sports We're talking about the national championship game, Ohio State and Alabama, as for now, still scheduled for Monday night. Don't think that's going to change, but of course, you never know here uh, during this crazy COVID era. Then we'll also talk about all six wildcard weekend games in the NFL playoffs. Certainly, lots to discuss there on today's show with Brad over at ATS.io. We're discussing a lot of things. Some interesting industry news this week: New York possibly going to go with mobile and online sports betting. Now talked about that. Also talked about Cuomo's plan to go with online and mobile betting. Uh, Bet America getting rebranded. Wrote about that this morning over at ATS.io, so you can check that out. Some great sportsbook promotions this week at DraftKings, at PointsBet at betmgm bet one dollar win a hundred dollar offers at both betmgm and also DraftKings. points bet offering no juice spreads on the wild card weekend so even money on all six games max bet up to 10 grand so a very good offer there from points bet sportsbook read up on the sportsbook reviews sign up for those places through ats.io get some sign up bonuses and wager here on all the great NFL and college football action coming up for this weekend. Lastly, make sure you download the ATS app, full article integration from the website. It's a bet tracker. It's an odd screen. You got a lot of helpful handicapping tools, some good bells and whistles in that app for you to check out. You can get that through the Google play store, through the Apple store, or you can go to ATS.io, go to the ATS app page at the top of the screen on your mobile device, then you can go to the direct links to download the app. Makes it very easy for you to get that ATS app. A lot of good stuff in that. Also, premium model subscriptions available $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month. Very helpful handicapping tool, the ATS app. We encourage you to download that today. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional, better, and handicapper Brad Powers from BradPowersSports.com. And Brad, how's it going today, man?
0: It's going well. Good to hear your voice on this fine Thursday.
1: Good to chat with you as well, man. And uh, you and I got to talk a lot before the show here too. And and one of these days, we'll go ahead and record our unfiltered uh, discussions you know, <laughs> for for everybody to check out. But uh, I guess the first thing to talk about here is that there's one college football game left for the season. And before we get to that one, I want to ask you for sort of a season in review about what you thought of the 2020 college football season, what you did well, what maybe you didn't do so well. And then, of course, the burning question on everybody's mind here, coming out of this weird COVID season, what are you taking forward from 2020 that you think could help in 2021?
0: Uh, great question. So, you know, I probably had my best season ever in, in college football, uh, at least from my newsletter that, 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 you know, I like to talk about each week. We, I had my best season ever from a betting aspect. Uh, me personally had one of my best seasons ever. But, you know, here's me, you know, I I don't do a very good job of, you know, promoting myself. I'm not going to take hardly anything. I mean, what what do I take moving forward? Uh, Not much. I think it's kind of a one-off, so I'm not going to get too high on my horse and too confident that I've, you know, found a a way to beat the system. I just think this was a a one-off year type of situation where, you know, whether I did really good or really bad. Uh, I wasn't going to overreact to those results just because it, it's been so different. You know, I, the intriguing part to me is I have gotten to see what, you know, individual position groups are, are actually worth to align. Uh, that, I find that fascinating, individual coaches being out. How much are they actually worth to a point spread? Some of those questions that we've never really had rock solid answers with data points to. Uh, we at least have some data points now. So that's one thing I'll take moving forward. And I guess I'll just say right now, I mean, hypothesis is uh, quarterback is worth so much more than everything else is pretty much noise. Although I will say the position consistently that does not get enough credit or, 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 you know, value in the marketplace is the center and long snapper position. I can't tell you how many times centers are out or long snappers just being bad. They, they need to be factored into a point spread, and they're just not.
1: No, I think those are all excellent points there. And uh, you know something else that you did very well is you, you played those circle world openers, and, and you did a great job with those. You did a great job getting a lot of line value and a lot of equity out of those as well and obviously those aren't things that you can, you know, suggest to clients because I mean it's one opener at one book with a number that's there generally for minutes if that long but that's something i think that you found to be really profitable for you this year and it's a reaffirmation of the fact that you know you should trust your numbers and i think for anybody that puts a lot of time and a lot of effort into this you really want to trust your numbers trust the work that you're putting in I know you put in a lot more work than most people do uh, with college football being your primary focus, you know, this being your career and your job. But I think it just sort of speaks to the idea that you know, if you're going to put in the time, if you're going to put in the effort and do the work, you got to trust what you're doing. And I think that's an important lesson for all of us.
0: Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. And I'll say one thing I did do differently this year. I trusted my numbers uh, more than any other year. My, my just pure power rating, not even getting into the handicap or anything, just going off my pure power ratings numbers. I had my best year ever for those. And I didn't deviate from those power ratings too much this year. Like I've done in the past. I think some of it was, you know, for several years I was doing weekly long form podcasts, not, not counting this one, but uh, in other medias and, you know, I was on the radio uh, five days a week during football season. And a lot of times you're looking for the narrative. What's the best story to be told? What handicap can I give that, that makes the most sense? And also, you know, something that that, that the audience can really grasp. I, I didn't have to deal with any of that this year. So I just trusted my numbers. And, you know, somebody asked me, well, you know, what else other than you're not what I know what your number says, what else? And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have to come up with some, you know, great foolproof, you know, handicap on, on the type of game. I just, you know, stuck with it, stuck with my gut, my actual, the work that I do put on those uh, ratings uh, finally really paid off this
1: year. Well, and that's something that's a challenge for me specifically is, you know, I'm a content creator first and a handicapper second. And, and like you said, you know you find these talking points. You you try to find these things that you can write about, that you can discuss that, you know, make for compelling arguments, compelling radio, compelling things to read, all of that. And the fact of the matter is sometimes none of it means anything. You know, we, we talk about situational spots. We talk about maybe motivation or, you know, we talk about maybe a team playing a really tough physical game and, you know, how that will impact them in the next game. And, it's all speculatory. You know, it's, it's educated guesswork and it's certainly something that could factor into the handicap, but maybe it's not going to. And with your numbers, there's a higher degree of black and white. And with what you talk about throughout the week, what you talk about in your handicapping process, it's a higher degree of gray and less black and less white. And I think it makes a lot of sense that you you relied on your numbers in this COVID year, where there were going to be a lot of things that would come out that we didn't know if they would impact the handicap or not. We didn't know how much they should actually mean to the betting line. You relied on what was tangible and what was in front of you and what, you know, you put a lot of time work effort emphasis into as opposed to looking at some of those things that, you know, are more qualitative instead of quantitative. And I think that, you know, maybe this year, obviously, you know, both of us wish things had gone a lot differently, but maybe, the, the nature of college football this year was a blessing in disguise for you to realize that, you know, your numbers do carry a lot of weight should carry a lot of weight and led to having a very successful season. Absolutely. I mean, there was just some things that, you know, I,
0: I didn't know the answers. I mean, I can speculate, uh, but I mean, I, again, I just went back to my ratings. like, I, I don't have a clear cut answer. I can come up with some great, you know, talking point on, on radio or a podcast, but you know, to, I fully identified what I didn't know and didn't even try to speculate on that. So I think that kind of helped me this year where if I was on national radio or, or doing so much more podcast work, you know, I'd probably put time and effort into a game uh, that, that you know, really when it came down to it, it didn't offer value. So that, that is the the major thing I will take moving forward. And, and I'll think- say that my power ratings will be absolute crap next year. But I, I don't I don't think that's going to be the case. I'll just put it that way.
1: And, and it speaks to a concept that you and I have talked about a lot here on the shows. There is a difference between betting and handicapping. Yep. There simply is. You know, when you talk about trusting your power ratings, playing those openers, playing those early week numbers, that is betting. That is taking a position, playing it, realizing that, you know, my numbers are good here. I'm going to get out in front of the market. I'm going to get some line value. And then as the week goes along and we get information like injury reports, weather, so on and so forth, that's part of the handicapping process. And those are two very, very different processes. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where for you, somebody who does this for a living You can be stronger on the betting side. You can afford to put yourself out there a little bit more, have a little bit higher of a risk profile trusting the betting side of things. When the handicapping side comes into it, that's exactly what I said of educated guesswork of speculating on, you know, what this coach said, how the team may react, how they play back-to-back road games. You know, we think about it in college basketball terms of playing consecutive games in elevation. How much does that matter to a team? We don't know. You know, it's different from one team to the next. One team may be deeper. One team may be shallower. You know, one team may have played 80 possessions in elevation the first game. They're going to play 65 possessions in elevation the second game. How much of an impact does that actually have? That all falls under the umbrella of handicapping. And those are two very different disciplines. The goal is the same to win money both ways, but those are two different disciplines. And I think it's an important line in the sand to draw for our listeners here as we start thinking about the next season? Yeah.
0: So I couldn't have really said it better myself. And, and, and I'll, but I will say this, I mean, betting, I mean, I, I, I don't have like the set number, like on, on a Sunday when I'm betting circle openers, you know, one week I might make a dozen bets. Uh, you know, some weeks I'm making 25 bets, but I also am a guy that, you know, has a service. Can I expect, you know, my clients to bet 25 and I get the numbers are going to move and whatnot. And, and, you know, some of the games I'm not going to offer, but let's just say a cut to, am I going to offer 15 bets? on a weekly basis on a Sunday night, Monday morning, when the lines start, you know, getting more readily available. No. So, so what happens during the course of the week, that's where the handicapping comes in. When you're trying to cut down to a reasonable number for your clients to bet, you're kind of looking for that perfect handicap. Okay. You know, maybe my ratings say this, but on top of it, I have this and this and this in my favor. And, you know, usually when I'm handicapping and I cut it down to a five or six picks, which I think is t- technically what a lot of people are going to bet. They're not going to make 15 or 20 bets on college and turn around and make seven, eight, nine, 10 bets in the NFL the next day. Uh, that, that's where I think some of it comes to, my issue comes where I've had issues in the past. So that's where it, it, they kind of arise. I'm looking for these perfect handicaps. And a lot of times they just don't exist.
1: Well, and it's like anything else, you know, like I, I love beer. I love bourbon. I love country music. <laughs> I love food. There are a lot of things that I really enjoy. And when I have an opinion about something, I'm going to try to justify it. I'm going to sit there in my mind thinking that I'm right or even knowing that I'm right. And I will sit there and come up with all of the reasons why I'm right. Why this beer is better than that beer. Why my meal was better than somebody else's. Why my opinion of a restaurant is better than somebody else's. This is just what we do as human beings. We want to be right. Nobody wants to be wrong. There's no joy taken out of being wrong. So we find this narrative, we find this argument, we find all of these justifications to prove why we're right. The handicapping process is the exact same thing. You lock in on something, you get this certain level of tunnel vision, and then what you do is you sit there and you take that side, whether it's you know favorite or underdog, over or under, whatever, and you formulate this argument. And what happens is, a lot of times you're not looking at the other side, why you could be wrong because nobody wants to sit there and think I'm wrong. And, and, you know, it it factors into everything that you talk about with people. So that handicapping process, a lot of times does become writing the best explanation for a play to justify it as much as possible. So that way, if it doesn't win for whatever reason, you sit there and say, well, you know what? I gave a compelling case. I talked about every reason why I think this is going to win, but you're not talking about any reason why it could lose because you know, you're, you're trying to sell something to yourself, to other people, and it's a, a position that you do like. So that's where the betting part comes into play of it's black and white. I'm taking this because my number says this. You don't have to create that argument. That argument is created for you in the data that you have. So again, it's one of those things to me where just something for everybody to keep in mind as they go through that handicapping process, you know, take a minute and think to yourself, Could I be missing something here? Is there an angle that maybe I'm not fully looking at? And, you know, I I think that a two-sided handicap makes sense. And I've heard people tell me before, why would you try to come up with an argument against something that you believe in? And to me, I think it's just to get the full picture of, you know, why you like that game or why you don't like that game. And then you sort of weigh what matters to you the most. Yeah. And, you know,
0: especially if you're doing it later in the week, I mean, there is there is a reason the line is where it's at for the most part. I mean, you are, especially if it's late week betting, You it's you against the market, you against the world, sharp bettors, uh, uh, and whatnot, services, syndicates, even the public's going to have a factor. And, and for you to come up with this perfect handicap on why you're right and the market's wrong, I mean, uh I mean, maybe maybe you can win that way, and a lot of people do. But uh, <laughs> just know fully well if you're if it was all pro in one one direction, one side, then the line would move. And if it hasn't moved, I mean, th- there are going to be two sides to that uh, story, that handicap.
1: Yeah, it's just again, I think it's it's really important to sort of reflect and, and think about these things and. You know, it's something that we can talk about after the NFL playoffs are over as well, where, you know, that's a a very different kind of market where it's a, you know, extremely efficient market. A lot of it played more on liking numbers as opposed to sort of liking teams and matchups and situations and stuff like that in college football. But I think it is really important for everyone to sit there and, you know, kind of think about that difference between betting and handicapping, that idea of justifying something in your mind to yourself, where Maybe you are kind of missing something on the other side of the handicap because you just get so locked in on liking something. It, it's the reason why you get these people that say, "Oh, that can't lose." Yeah, sure it can. Of course it can. <laughs> you know, like my opinion could be wrong on something. I I don't. I like to think that I'm right all the time. I'm clearly not. Ask my wife. But you know, it's one of those things where you know we lock in on so much of this stuff that you wind up missing some things sometimes and. That's why, you know, 55% is considered to be, you know, 55, 56% would be the gold standard in this business because you are going to be wrong. It's just a matter of mitigating and limiting the amount of times that you are wrong. And so hopefully everyone's been able to do that here throughout this college football season from our show. Uh, you know, if you've been a long time listener, hopefully we've helped you out with a lot of those different things, but Brad, as we do a highlight video here for the national championship game, Ohio state and Alabama talking through our thoughts, still a lot of time left before this game, the COVID concerns that have been rumored to be at Ohio state, still a factor, the health of Justin Fields. We know nothing about. We'll see if that picture gets any clearer as we get closer to kickoff, but professional better and handicapper, Brad powers from BradPowersSports.com joins me here. And Brad Alabama minus eight 75, the total for this one, what are your thoughts as of now here, as we're talking early Thursday afternoon? Yeah, I certainly lean on the Ohio state
0: side. I mean, I've made a bet on Ohio state side at the plus eight. Uh, it, it isn't a big bet for me, uh, but you know, decent bet. It, the reason it's not a big bet is what you just mentioned that the COVID issues uh, for Ohio state. And then the, the health status of Justin Fields, I know he's not going to be hundred percent. I just, is he closer to 50% or is he closer to, you know, 80%? Uh, is he going to be, you know, like he was after the hit uh, against Clemson. If that's the case, then, you know, it doesn't really matter to me uh, it, that, that he's dealing with a, a little bit of a hip or rib or whatever the injury is going to be. So, th- th- those, co- th- the bigger thing to me is the COVID issues. And we've seen them get reported very late in the process. The Clemson game, what well, was only a few hours before the game that that news trickled in that the Buckeyes were going to be missing three, four starters. That That's the only hangout for me on why this, I haven't made this, you know, a bigger bet on the Buckeyes here, but I'm certainly in their camp. And, and I can promise you it has nothing to do with my affinity for the state of Ohio, a state that I grew up in, or, you know, some fanship for Ohio state. That's never been there. It's actually
1: been the opposite. I, I just, I like the matchup here for the Buckeyes. Something that I'm kind of curious about is that, you know, this line opened in the seven and a half range and that's about where Ohio state versus Clemson was. And, and nobody's putting, Alabama and Clemson as a pick I'm on a neutral field it, it's yep. not happening so before the college football playoff began my line on this game was Alabama minus 11 and a half where, where was your number you know before Ohio State beat Clemson and before Alabama had I don't want to say a lackluster performance against Notre Dame they certainly let up in that game I you know and Notre Dame covers the spread late but do you feel like this number kind of overcorrected in the market it's a great question. I had a nine and a half,
0: ten 10 Alabama. Uh, so maybe I was already a little bit higher uh, on the Buckeyes uh, than most. And, you know, I did bet Ohio state against Clemson. So you know, I, look, we're dealing with a small sample size of data points with Ohio state this year. And, and obviously the, the last game being their most important, Sample size and data points. So, I, you know, typically am I upgrading a team in their power ratings three points this time of the year? No, but because of the extenuating circumstances that Ohio State had only played six games and because, you know, they finally matched up against an elite team, I wasn't afraid to make a massive, you know, upgrade on Ohio State's power ratings. So I bumped them up three points. And I know Alabama didn't cover the spread. I still bumped up Alabama a little bit just because, you know, if you read in the analytics, and that's that profile. I mean, Alabama did dominate the game much more than a 17-point final. So, I mean, right now, pure power rating. Uh, and, again, this, this speaks kind of more towards, you know, why it's only, uh, you know, a decent bet on Ohio State is, you know, pure power rating for me on this game right now is uh, Alabama seven, uh,
1: 7.3. No, I guess the second question here about this one is, you know, I mean, for Ohio State, too, look, this is a much different team with Trey Sermon at running back. This is a much different team having Chris Olave back. And of course we saw that with Ohio state's ability to stretch the field, uh, especially when they got to midfield, that's when they took a lot of their deep shots on that Clemson defense and had great success with doing that with Alabama here. You know, you sort of look at this Ohio state game and you look at Alabama's profile and you know, a team like Florida moved it on them, you know? So how much does that factor in here where Ohio state is, a dynamic offense. And I know people want to hold Ohio State's profile against them because the Big Ten was, you know, down and, and such a bad conference, really pretty much across the board. How much does it factor in here that you know the teams that Alabama has played that have offensive potential really did move the football on them like an old miss or like a Florida?
0: Yeah, that's that certainly plays a part. I mean, the fact that we've seen teams do have success against Alabama. I mean, great success, just not success. I'm talking about, you know, in, in any other year, any other time period. I mean, if you're, you're putting 40 plus points on the board against Alabama, you're probably winning the game. So, uh, And I think Ohio State's more talented, better coach than than, than Ole Miss and even Florida, uh, or at least, you know, with Florida equal talent. I mean, uh, with Alave and Wilson on the outside, Sermon at running back and Justin Fields, uh, they're just as good as the playmakers Florida had. And, and I'll say this. You know, I think Ohio State's is better defensively, than, clearly better defensively than those two teams. And, and, you know, one point, you know, I just watched, uh, it was Irvin Meyer and Joel Klatt talking about, and Irvin Meyer, which I, I think he's the best analyst out there in college football right now. I really respect his opinion, and I'm shocked at how good he's become on TV. But he was going back to the Florida game, and he talked about Florida's inability, and I remember this clearly, to just get a stop against Alabama's offense. I mean, cause you're going to count how many stops can you get? You're not going to, yeah. I mean, you're not going to fully, you know, stop them for the whole game. It's just, can you slow them down a little bit? And Florida, because I don't think they're necessarily that, you know, well coached on the defense side of the ball and just, you know, fluke play. They had stops on Alabama's offense. Two of them wiped away on third down penalties, that they, Alabama was going to punt and Florida had stupid, you know, uh, a lot of times after the whistle was blown penalties that, that did, you know, kept Alabama drives alive. And then the interception where the, you know, the player, you know, turned it right around and fumbled it on the return. I mean, if you go back to that game, and if Florida had just gotten those three stops, they might have won the game outright. So to me, I kind of go back to that, that last big game for Alabama. I mean, no disrespect to Notre Dame, but they just don't have the playmakers on the outside uh, like, like a Florida or Ohio State does. Urban Meyer bringing that up kind of swung me a little bit even more in the Ohio State direction. Why I think they can not only compete with the game, but also win the game outright.
1: Yeah, and I agree on, on the Urban Meyer point. I think he's definitely been the best analyst in college football. And and you know, his his unbelievable ex- his way of expressing it too. You know, that's a guy that could obviously talk very technically about college football, but it it makes sense to everybody. I think every viewer can kind of latch on to and appreciate what he's saying. He's done a, a phenomenal job with that. And that brings me to another question here. I thought Ryan Day and Kerry Coombs had excellent game plans for the Clemson game. That was a game Ohio State wanted. Realistically speaking, they were the better team in last year's semifinal game. They were. That, That was a fumble. And then Fields with the miscommunication on the interception at the end of the game when they were driving. They were the better team. They wanted that game. Dabo gave them a ton of bulletin board material, obviously. So they were plenty focused, plenty engaged. I thought that Clemson really didn't do anything that impressed me. In that semifinal game, they didn't change anything from the previous year, and Ohio State was ready for it. The Buckeyes, yep. meanwhile, took their deep shots. They ran the ball a little bit differently than they had in some of their other games. They were very well prepared, and I thought you made an excellent point on Twitter here this morning. And trends are a very polarizing thing. Some people love them, some people hate them, some people get on you about the sample size and this. And oh that. yeah, but I thought you made an excellent point about Nick Saban and his championship game appearances for the Crimson Tide that make me wonder if, you know, Ryan day and his staff maybe has an edge over Alabama this in this game.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've looked at the comparison of, you know, because Saban, when you got eight championship games, as far as a data point, uh, I mean, I know it, in normal circumstances, I would scoff at, at, you know, eight game sample size, but it's like the patriots i mean you could deduct when you're talking super bowl props and whatnot i mean when you have eight games of the same head coach same quarterback type of thing you can really you know on how they i mean as far as the super bowl you have enough for me to 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 start to judge a little bit and then saban's case i think you do and my thought process was hey man he used to absolutely dominate these title games i mean they weren't even close and i went even back to the lsu game against oklahoma i mean when he had it, A full month to prepare. Keep in mind, season kind of back in the BCS era, season ended, you know, last week in November or first week in December, and then you had that full month of prep. When you gave Saban that full month in those four championship games, I mean, he covered the spread in all four and did so by almost 16 points per game. Since we moved to the playoff format where you have much more time to prep for the semifinal, which Saban's done, you know, for the most part, really well in, but only have that 10-day prep time for the championship game. He hasn't covered any of the four games. He's 0-4, and it's not like it, a lot of them have been close. I mean, he's fell the cover by 11.5 points per game. So I just found that, you know, that prep time, which is significantly different from the BCS to the playoff era. I mean, we're talking three weeks almost. Uh, Saban hasn't performed as well, and my hypothesis was – Saban is, I think he's the GOAT. He's the best ever. Not only is he the best ever, he usually has the best roster. And also, he has a, the best support staff. I mean, he has an army of analysts and whatnot. And when you give them a month to prep for a game, they're going to show their superiority. You give them 10 days to prep, they're, the, that less time to me kind of evens the playing field a little bit.
1: I, I think it was a phenomenal point that you made. And again, trends can be picked apart for a variety of different reasons. But I do think there's something to this one. And also, too, you, know, you think about that quick turnaround and, and you think about kind of, you know, what happens with Alabama year in and year out. They're losing coordinators. They're losing position coaches pretty much every year. And, and in the BCS era, when you have that month, as you said, you know, you've got more time to sort of figure out your contingency plans and all of that. Here, you know, in the semifinal, the four seed or the team that Alabama's faced in the semifinal generally hasn't been great. But yep. then you get that title game. And that's where it shows up that maybe you lose a Kirby Smart or now you've got Steve Sarkeesian who, yeah, he's there and he's preparing and I'm sure he wants to, you know, end his Alabama tenure with a national championship here. But that's a guy who's also still trying to deal with, you know, organizing the Texas program. So those are things that I think also hurt Alabama, you know, with this quicker turnaround where, you know, their coaches and their position coaches are so highly sought after that, you know, it is a factor. It does sort of Take your thought process away a little bit uh, from that big game that's in front of you. I guess the last thing to ask you about here, and then we'll close up this highlight video, and we'll keep talking a little bit more about this game uh, off screen, and you know people can hear that with the full editions of the ATS Radio podcast. The total of seventy-five, massive total here, huge total yeah. for the college football playoff game. But I, I mean, I, I don't think I want to bet the under in this game. Where are you at on the total? I hear you. Uh, circa opened up 77. There was some
0: early no, <laughs> early money on the over, and it went up to 78. I bit off a little bit of uh, a piece on the under. Just historically speaking, it's so high. If you told me even 10 years ago, you got a Big Ten team playing an SEC team in, in a championship game. Your total is basically <laughs> similar to Texas Tech and Baylor. I mean, I'm just, you know, historically speaking, I lean under on that one. But the more I think about it, though, Adam, I just, I, 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 I wouldn't bet it now if I had, if hindsight always twenty twenty, but I wouldn't make that same bet. Now. I just, you know, college football has changed dramatically. It's one on the outside uh, a lot and there's so many playmakers here. Uh, I, I, I think as far as a total, my favorite actually would probably be Ohio state's team total. I've seen it like 33, 33 and a half. I kind of want to go over Ohio state's team total.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I can't argue with that. You know, Alabama, like we talked about, teams have moved it on them. And Ohio State certainly has the personnel to do that, assuming Fields is healthy and assuming, of course, uh, that the COVID outbreak doesn't take away any of their, you know, key skill position personnel. But, you know, we'll probably have to wait until Monday uh, to see what that all looks like. So comprehensive breakdown here of the side and total for the national championship game. I'm host Adam Burke, professional better and handicapper Brad Powers joining me. Make sure you check out all of our content on our ATS YouTube page and subscribe to the full editions of ATS radio, which you can hear on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. All right, so we don't have lines for this, and it's part of the reason why I didn't want to continue the feature video talking about this, but we talked about it a little bit on Monday with Kyle Hunter. We'll talk about it a little bit here with you now, Brad, is that. We don't have numbers out. We don't have a whole lot of game props or player props or anything like that. My guess is they'll probably start popping shortly after the show, as, as is often the case. But if not, they'll come out Friday, Saturday, a lot on Sunday, maybe some on game day Monday. A good way to attack this game, because this is a sharp side in total. It should be the sharpest of the year with all of the money that comes in with the focal points being these two teams in Ohio State and Alabama. As these prop numbers come out, are there any things that you're, you know, kind of looking to play, kind of hoping to play for this game?
0: Yeah, I'll start with Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields, uh, who, you know, isn't the most mobile guy, but certainly is featured in the run game. Typically, I would say, you know, because it's a national championship game, because it's the final game of the season, you'd expect Ohio State to run Justin Fields more in a game like this, where, you know, if he's playing a regular season game against Rutgers, why even run the quarterback? I'm actually going to take the opposite take. I'm going to go under. I don't think you want to run Justin Fields that much because of the injury. And all it's going to take maybe is one shot and he's out of the game. I think you protect him, at least in the quarterback run game. And and let's face it, your run game has been good enough without Justin Fields the last couple of weeks against Clemson and Northwestern, you know, average per game for him is right around the mid forties this season. If anything comes in that price range, I want to go under his rushing total. Justin Fields, quarterback for the Buckeyes.
1: Yeah, I like that one. I, I think that's one that makes a lot of a lot of sense. Excuse me. And and it's one that kind of concerns me a little bit in terms of one of the props that I was thinking of uh, as a Monday. So looking at Fields under completions, and I'm, I'm guessing this number comes out somewhere in the low 20s, maybe 20 and a half, 21 and a half, something like that. I don't think this is really a volume-based attack for Ohio State in the passing game. I think they'll do exactly what they try to do against Clemson, take some deep shots, attempt to stretch the field, win one-on-ones with Wilson and with Olave, and you know, maybe you get some tight ends in, in the red zone and all that, but I don't really see Fields slinging this thing around a whole lot, uh, in part because you, know, you do want to protect him with pass pro and you know, hope that the offensive line yeah. plays well and keeps him you know, upright and clean. But I also think, again, the emergence of Trey Sermon and what they've been able to do with him has been a significant factor here. So I was kind of thinking Fields under, you know, if it's in that 21 and a half range for completions, I kind of like that. But what you said about not wanting to run him at all, you know, that sort of makes me feel like he has to become a pocket passer. So maybe it backs me off a little bit about that, but we'll see what that line looks like and what the VIG looks like in that one. But speaking of Sermon, I think both you and I, or expecting him to have a lot to do with Ohio State's game plan here.
0: Yeah, oh, certainly. And uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see where they price his number. I mean, a guy that was basically uh, a non-factor at, at the start of the season or I wouldn't say non-factor, but you know, he was like a 55-60 rushing yard per game uh, performer the first four or 4-5 games to all of a sudden, you know, against Northwestern, he sets the record for Ohio State with 331 yards and backs it up with 193 uh, against Clemson and you just look at his carries and his usage is up almost three X I'm, I'm anxious to see where they, they, they price his uh, his rushing total at, are they going to, you know, use full season average and, and slightly lean towards what's happened the last two games, or are they going to price him? Like he's their feature back uh, even though he's playing an Alabama defense you know, the, we're going to price him high. I'm I'm anxious to see, I want to play over. So if you're asking me right now, anything like 125-ish, I'm going to go over. And again, it sucks that we don't have any reference points. I could be way off. Maybe they put out his number like 160, 175. I mean, I'm not going to be anxious to bet it there, but I guess my, buy low, my price point that I'm going to go over is like in the 125 range. I want to bet over rushing yards for Sermon.
1: Now, as we look at the Alabama side of things, I mean, you know, we saw Michael Penix just completely shred the Ohio state defense in the Indiana game, but Trevor Lawrence, you know, he didn't really find a a ton to work with. I mean, they picked on Sean Wade quite a bit and we'll talk about that in a minute, but you know, Trevor Lawrence just didn't find a whole lot of easy throws. The ones he did have, he kind of overshot his, you know, target a little bit. He had a tight end down the middle of the field. He missed, he missed some other throws down the sidelines, all that I thought that was a major mistake from Clemson in that game. You attack Ohio state in the middle of the field. You don't attack Ohio state on the sidelines because I think their linebacker play is, I think those guys are fine in the big 10. I don't think when you face teams like this, those guys have a whole lot of success. So to me, I think Alabama should attack the middle of the field quite a bit. And whether that means a steady diet of, of, of a uh, Devontae Smith, whether it means using Najee Harris in the passing game a little bit more. I think those are two things that Alabama should look to do. What do you think the offensive plan is? I mean, is this Mac Jones just slinging it around 40, 45 times?
0: I think that they're going to throw it quite a bit to be perfectly honest with you. And a lot of it depends if Jalen Waddle is going to play or not. And, you know, we'll see as we get closer to the game what that is. I don't think he's going to be super effective. He's certainly not going to be, in my opinion, the Jalen Waddle the first four or five games of the season prior to the injury, but they can use him as a decoy. And maybe that instead of rolling a safety over to, to help Wade against Devontae Smith, if that's going to be the matchup, uh, maybe you can't do that so much with Waddle beating you possibly over the top. Uh, that's a concern, but I, you know, I, I'll say this: I'm looking to, to to make some bets on Najee Harris, using him out of the backfield as a receiver, uh, and also uh, the guy I was really impressed with Alabama, a guy I didn't know much about, uh, was Billingsley. Uh, the kind of they use him kind of like a tight end. He's got a tight end build. He might be a guy over the middle of the field that, that I that I was impressed with against Notre Dame. Uh, that, that, that Alabama also decides to use against those slower linebackers for the Buckeyes and you know Pete Warner and Tough Borland and, and Browning just you're right <laughs> they leave a little bit to be desired when, when it comes to covering somebody like that out of the backfield or uh, you know a very athletic tight end
1: yeah I think Billingsley overs are something I'm definitely going to look at while everyone's looking at Waddle and, and you know Demonte yep. Smith I, I think Billingsley is the guy that could wind up being the major mismatch in this game and it, it's weird to say that after how bad Sean Wade looked against Clemson if he gets on Devontae Smith, but yeah, I think Billingsley's a guy that's just, he's such a magnificent weapon with his size, big physical dude. uh, And and I don't think that Ohio State can cover him over the middle. So that's what I'm definitely really looking to key in on there as far as the Alabama side of things goes. Uh, But again, you know, I'm looking forward to having these lines out there, having these things to talk about should be a whole lot of fun. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to give you some more insight with some actual odds on these things. Uh, on Monday's show with Kyle Hunter in advance of the national championship game. But uh, Brad, certainly appreciate all of your college football thoughts here over the course of the season. And uh, good luck to you here in this final game. We transition over to the NFL side of things here. Six games on the wildcard weekend for the first time. The extra playoff team getting added only one by week. So we go ahead and start here. And I guess I'll ask you this question. For the playoffs, because it's the playoffs, does that change your handicap relative to what you typically do during the regular season? Uh,
0: no, n- not significantly. I mean, one thing you throw out the window is the motivation aspect. Uh, I mean, teams are going to be motivated. So th- that shouldn't even really factor into your handicap. Uh, I, I, I get more time, I, I guess, because I'm a college guy's college guy first and I'm dealing with 40 50 college games and your NFL games each week. And now I got one championship game and NFL. So I guess I got more time to go more in depth on the NFL. I'm just talking about me personally. So, you know, I, I feel like I know a little bit more than I, than I typically do. And before people jump on me and whatnot and say, you know, I, I never had a losing NFL handicapping season until this year. And by n- not having a losing season, I was 50, at least 56% five years straight. Uh, it was much better success than college. I guess it, what helped me is what I didn't know, just didn't factor it in. And I just, you know, it was very crystal clear that that's a play that isn't. This year, I think some of it being COVID and whatnot, and maybe just a, maybe even a statistical anomaly, I just wasn't seeing the NFL card, but I can promise you, I don't think it has to do with time. But speaking of time, I, I, I do have more of it. And I, I'd i like to think I'm okay in this industry and you give me time because I'm a grinder Uh, now that I can put in more time, I think, I and I have had more success in the NFL playoffs, uh, generally speaking.
1: So we take a look here at the Indianapolis Colts and the Buffalo Bills. And the Buffalo Bills, pretty much six and a half is the market wide. Some of the more publicly tuned global shops still showing seven, but most of them are at six and a half here. Total of 51 for this game. Was it the Bills haven't won a playoff game since what? It's been a long time, hasn't it? uh i know at least the 90s uh
0: 95 93- i think yeah that sounds about right
1: yeah so it's it's uh, it's it's been a long time but that being said you know the colts who were consistently in the playoffs with peyton manning and then the early parts of andrew luck's career they only have one playoff appearance i think in the last six years so a couple of teams you know really looking to kind of rewrite the uh the direction of their particular franchises
0: Yeah, so this is one, you know, how is it different compared to, you know, past years? I mean, I don't think I'd be anxious to bet Indy, uh, considering the fact that it's Buffalo's first home playoff game since 1996. And that is a a rabid fan base that I think could make a difference. And with it being the first in a quarter century, I I, I wouldn't be as willing to, to at least lean with Indy. Uh, If that situation was the case, keep in mind that they are going to have fans for the first time, but only 6,700 of them uh, are going to be in the stadium for for the Bills. It's very tough to fade a team that's covered eight, eight in a row. But on the other, when we talk about two sides to a handicap, you know, do you want to continue to ride the streak with the Bills? They've covered eight straight games. That doesn't happen very often in the NFL. I'm, I'm guessing something every couple of years, a team runs eight in a row as far as a cover streak. When But at some point, it starts to become you're paying a premium on that team. And I think that might be a little bit of the case here. And keep in mind, I know the Colts played a very weak schedule, but this is their only second underdog role the entire season. The only other one when they were a one-point dog at Cleveland. Now you're catching nearly a touchdown with a team that I think has the better defense or at least a slightly better defense. That's why I'm leaning with Indy here.
1: It's really fascinating. I know Brian Blessing talked about this on Tuesday, that Buffalo's covered like 10 or 11 first halves in a row. Wow. They they play from in front. And that is something that worries me a little bit here about Indianapolis, because I think Indy needs that balance. They need to be able to run the football. They need to not put it all on Rivers' shoulders. I mean, we know that Phillip Rivers in close games has been kind of a difficult thing to put money on. So (laughs) I think Indianapolis, you know, they need to not have this first half get away from them. Whether or not that's the case, Remains to be seen. I think Buffalo with a healthy defense now with Matt Milano back with Trey Edmonds, healthy with, you know, Tredavious white getting a blow last week, not playing the game. I think Buffalo's defense at full strength is is a pretty solid unit. Yep. I agree with you. That I think there's some premium being paid here on Buffalo. I think that is definitely a fair point to make. If this game is played probably three weeks ago, it's Buffalo four and a half, four yep. something like that, probably. So I do think there is a premium in this game however that being said and I've talked about this a lot in terms of teams that have had the bye week I'd rather play on a team playing really well coming into the playoffs than a team coming into the playoffs like the way Indianapolis has played they've won games to get there but you know that's a one possession game against Jacksonville in the third quarter last week two one score wins over Houston a game they probably should have lost with that fumble inside the five you know they blew out the Raiders in the second half the Raiders have a bunch of problems and then they blew that lead to Pittsburgh Buffalo. Like you said, eight straight covers learned something from that Arizona game. They're playing at a very high level. And yep. when you get to the playoffs and you're playing against other teams in the NFL that are on your level or close to it, I'd rather have the team playing well. And I'll talk about that again with the first game on Sunday between Baltimore and Tennessee. But to me, I think I could talk myself into Buffalo. I think Buffalo first half is worthy of consideration. Maybe Buffalo first quarter, uh, but, you know, as far as the full game goes, I understand the hesitance in laying six and a half with the bills.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing I'm just thinking of that concerns me is keep in mind the Colts playing in a division where they obviously they play dome games and then every other team in their division is, you know, a warmer Tennessee, I guess is isn't so much, but at least a warmer weather team than Buffalo with a very old quarterback in you know, cold conditions we've seen that they just don't have it anymore. I mean, when it shows up is when the weather's not perfect, it's not 75 degrees and your bones are loose and whatnot. I know I'm speaking from experience now that I'm in my upper 30s. You know, I feel a, hell of a lot better when it's 75 instead of it's 25 outside. So that would be a concern. Rivers really showing his age in a game where, you know, it's not played in ideal conditions.
1: Yeah, and again, the thing for Buffalo, they had some bad weather games that kind of hurt their offense early on. But, I mean, they've been humming along on the offensive side you here. Allen's been healthy. You know, Allen wasn't healthy for the two games that they lost early in the year, losing on the Hail Mary. You know, I just think I think Buffalo's body of work, you know, does breed a certain level of confidence. But, again, six and a half, it's one of those things where I know I'm paying a premium and I have to decide if I want to do it. And, you know. Absolutely. Have to, Couldn't have said it better. That remains to be seen here. Uh, for that early Saturday game, the Rams in Seattle. And I need to correct something here at the top talking about this game. I've screwed up multiple times this week and things I've written and things I've read. uh, I was looking at a source and maybe I read it wrong or something like that. Seattle and the Rams Seattle closed one and a half a few weeks back when these two teams played in week 16, it was not three and a half. My apologies for that. Something I should have, you know, double checked, triple checked. So mea culpa for that one. But this line here that was four and a half now down to three and a half, you and I were having a discussion before the show here. Is this indicative of some positive thoughts with regards to Jared Goff? Or is this a case where people are looking at John Wolford and the performance that he had last week and saying, you know what, this difference just isn't really worth a three point adjustment. <laughs> I think th- there
0: is some truth to that. Uh, I find it very intriguing that the line isn't more. Not that I'm saying that that you know the values on Seattle here, because I'll be perfectly frank, I'm not a big you know, Jared Goff, I think he's a below-average quarterback. I just – I think this line right here, the fact that these two teams just played two weeks ago in the same venue with a lot to play for in that game, and Seattle was laying one-and-a-half, and and now it's a playoff game, max motivation, three-and-a-half with a backup quarterback. That should and it's not like John Wolford is a known commodity as far as a backup. I think coming into the season, people would say he's a well-below-average backup, if not one of the worst in the league just because we didn't know – that shows you that Jared Goff ain't worth much. And I'll be honest with you. I sounds about right to me. I don't think he's worth that much.
1: Well, and I think here too, something that's interesting about this game is that, I mean, this Rams defense, I don't know if it's gotten enough run, gotten enough press of how good this defense is. Yep. Last week, they were missing Michael Brockers. Should get him back off the COVID list here for this week. This is an excellent defense. And Seattle's defense. You know, they've held, I think it's the last six, seven, eight opponents, something like that, to 23 or fewer points in every game. I mean, this defense has done a complete 180 from what we saw earlier in the year with Jamal Adams healthy, with Carlos Dunlap coming over from the Bengals. They've played really well defensively. So you sort of look at this and, and you kind of start thinking to yourself, like I know NFL unders are very hard to play, but I mean, and 42 and a half is a very low number, but yeah, I mean, I'm not expecting a lot of points here.
0: Yeah, unders the my preference as far as where I'm going to bet the game. That's what I have bet. Uh, you'd hope to get 43 is kind of a key number. Uh, so maybe the, there's hope that then maybe it can get back in that range. But I mean, Seattle games prior to last week seven straight unders. And if you paid attention to that game, that was a bad beat if you bet the under 34 fourth quarter points in that one. I think there was only like th- you know <laughs> like fifth. 50- heading into it so that was a bad beat should be eight straight unders for seattle games and i mean the rams were the you know one of the lower scoring teams in the entire nfl 12 and 4 to the under this year and now you got you know questions at the quarterback position the the two teams previous meetings this year neither one top 40 points yeah unders i think under is the way to go here
1: and one other thing and, and again maybe this has something to do with you know where this line is kind of sitting and all of that but you know when you look at What happened with Russell Wilson over the second half of the year, Russell Wilson, he had a 28 to eight touchdown interception ratio in the first eight games, 9.23 adjusted net yards per pass attempt in the last eight games, 12 to five touchdown interception ratio, 6.46 adjusted net yards per pass attempt. So a lot less explosive for this passing attack, a lot fewer touchdown passes more interception and well fewer interceptions in that range but fewer deep shots as well this Seattle offense in the middle of the year kind of did an about face where they started running the football more yep. Wilson wasn't as explosive you kind of worry about that here for Seattle and wonder if they can flip that switch and get back to being that really potent passing attack not against this Rams defense. I don't think it happens against this defense so I think the under are kind of a consensus look from us here what about the primetime game on Saturday Tampa Bay Washington Tampa Bay laying eight and a half or nine. There are some nines out there in the global marketplace. Total 45 for this one. This total has come down a little bit throughout the course of the week. Can you lay the big number here with Tampa Bay? I can't.
0: Uh, I like Washington. And uh, maybe I'm due to, you know going to get my teeth kicked in. It's a lamb to the slaughter here. But, uh, I mean, here's what I like about Washington. They've been consistent on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they have held seven straight opponents to 20 points or less I mean that's not a team that I'm willing to run to the window to lay more than a touchdown against a team that doesn't give up any points I mean for almost half a season 20 points or less every team and then on top of it Washington yeah they're a losing team they're not a losing team when Alex Smith is behind center they're five and one when he starts so this isn't Dwayne Haskins lining up and starting for the football team here uh and you know another thing and I'll credit you know Ralph Michaels for this stat there, since the the nFL went to the current division format in the, in t- uh, 2002 there's been seven teams that have made the playoffs either at eight and eight or worse they've had that losing record how do those teams do in the in the wild card seven and0 against the spread a lot of people want to throw that losing team in the trash and not only seven0 against the spread six six of them won outright so I'm not, i' might i don't expect Washington to win outright here but yeah, I, I, even though the market's against me a little bit here, I'll take Washington plus eight, eight and a half.
1: And again, you know, you see this total coming down, thoughts of a lower scoring expectation in this yep. game. That helps getting points. It certainly helps, you know, the the strong Washington defense. Tampa Bay is, is an interesting team to me because in their last four games after the bye, they played exceptional on offense. You know, they figured it out. They started using Brady a lot more effectively in terms of, You know, the routes that they were running, not making him throw as many deep balls, lots of underneath, put it in space, let your skill guys do work. And that's really what you want to do with both Brady and with this Tampa Bay offense. The thing about Washington is that unlike a lot of teams out there in the NFL that have to send safeties and corners and linebackers and all that, they get their pressure with the base front four. So they can actually play in coverage. And that's why they had the third best completion percentage against in the NFL this year. I don't see Tampa Bay getting a lot of really big explosive plays in this game. I don't know if the Washington pass rush gets there because Brady's getting it out quick and they've made that adjustment, but I just don't see Tampa Bay moving in big chunks here in this game. The question I have is can Washington move it? You know, Alex Smith, while they were five and one, when he started, he had more interceptions than touchdown passes. Yep. this year. So that is concerning for me. And also Tampa Bay, a very good run defense, best in the league in yards per carry allowed. So can Washington move the football enough to not get blown out in this game? To me, I think the answer is actually yes. I think this Tampa Bay defense has gotten worse as the season has gone along. And Ron Rivera has a lot of familiarity with that Tampa Bay personnel, albeit with a different team. So I like Washington plus eight and a half, plus nine. I kind of like under 45, but not as much. Uh, but I do think Washington will be more competitive in this game than people realize.
0: Yeah, so a couple things. Historically speaking, how do you beat Tom Brady? You get pressure, and it's in the interior front of the defense a lot of times. I mean, you go back to those Giants games, you know, defensive line for those Giants in those two Super Bowls pretty much were the MVPs, in my opinion, of those Super Bowls getting, you know, pressure on Brady, who's not very mobile. I think Washington's capable of that. Also, I think there's too much being made about Tampa Bay's improvements on on the offense side of the ball. I mean, the last two games it came against interim coaches – I mean, Detroit and Atlanta, you look at the other two games coming off the bye. The Minnesota game was a little bit deceiving because Minnesota missed, what, four field goals in the game? (laughs) That helped them win and cover that one. And the Atlanta game, they had to fight, claw, and scratch and do what typically most teams do against Atlanta, rally from a huge deficit. So it's not like I was overwhelmed in in that game. So I I just think after the two blowout wins the last two weeks, people are are really, I think, giving too much credit to Tampa Bay all of a sudden is this really high-powered offense.
1: Well, and and the last point I'll make here on this game to speak to, you know, we talked about earlier in the show, how trends are pretty polarizing and, and, you know, people will criticize them and criticize the sample size and all of that. Yeah. It's a trend that goes back to 2004 about, you know, teams that were 500 or worse getting into the playoffs and how they do against the spread. And yeah, it's a small number of games in that span, but that's one to me where it just speaks to, as you said, nobody wants to play that team. That line gets inflated you know, that line already starts high to begin with because, you know, nobody thinks anything of that team. And usually the first wild card winds up with a really good record and usually a pretty good statistical profile. That's one where, again, I think that's something where the line gets inflated. And that's something that I think has relevance over a larger sample size because we still see this. We still see lines inflated based on perception or, you know, just based on simple market activity where, nobody wants to bet Washington against Tom Brady and what the Buccaneers have done over the last several weeks. I think this line could continue to go up quite frankly, to the point where it's nine market wide, maybe nine and a half on Washington. And like you, I think they are competitive in this game. So I think it's a trend that, you know, while it is over a large sample size or over a large number of years in a small sample size still has relevance because it's just a market philosophy thing, not anything about, you know, the teams involved. Two things.
0: I think, you know, the public can have more say in the NFL more and more because the pub, the public's betting more and more as far as the NFL goes. Uh, and just generally speaking, the, the public is. So they can have a say as far as the market. And obviously, they're going to want to play the favorite. And also, I wouldn't be surprised it goes to nine. Teaser protection. People are playing teasers left and right. And, and, I mean, even sharp guys are going to want to tease, you know, Tampa Bay down through key numbers of seven and three here. And why wouldn't you at least try to move it to nine to avoid and, and protect yourself from that? Those all those six-point teasers on Tampa Bay? So, I mean, if I'm a bookmaker, uh, I, I wouldn't be afraid
1: to do it, de- depending on what my you know r- risk tolerance was. No, that's an excellent point. Very good point, especially as we get closer to this game here and a lot more public money starts yep. flowing into the market. We go to Sunday, and Baltimore and Tennessee, and for those that listen to the show regularly, you know I have a little side bet here with Brian Blessing. I've got Baltimore minus three and a half. He's got Tennessee plus three and a half. And this is what I talked about earlier with Indianapolis and Buffalo. People want to point to what Tennessee did to Baltimore last year. Tennessee was the hottest team on the planet when they went into the playoffs last year. Baltimore off of a bye. If I remember correctly, they didn't play anybody in week 17 either. So they basically had two full weeks off, then trying to get back into rhythm, play this hot Tennessee team. A Tennessee team, they outgained by 230 yards, but Baltimore was essentially minus seven in turnovers. They had three turnovers, 0 for 4 on fourth down. That's how a game gets away from you. Baltimore's playing at a much higher level coming into these playoffs. They've had to play everybody in order to get their playoff spot. And this Tennessee defense, I know Tennessee can score, but defensively, they're a train wreck. I still like Baltimore here, even at three with extra juice or three and a half.
0: I don't, uh, I'm kind of on the, I think Baltimore wins, uh, especially at three and a half, I'll take Tennessee. Uh, and, and to me, if they were to get revenge, wouldn't have been the home game earlier this year. Uh, I mean, that would have been the circle of wagons. Hey, this team beat us shouldn't have in the playoffs the year before. And yet Tennessee went on the road, won in overtime against Baltimore. Uh, and this is another case where, you know, hot team, kind, kind of like Buffalo. And I think, You're paying a little bit of a premium on a Baltimore team that's covered six games in a row. But then I look at, you know, who they've beaten down the stretch here, at least in their five-game straight-up winning streak. I mean, the only winning team is a road game against Cleveland, which obviously you know fully well could have went either way. I mean, I'm just – I guess I'm not overly impressed with – dominant wins over dallas and jacksonville and the giants and cincinnati kudos for them you know exceeding expectations even laying big numbers i just think you know it's a step up in class as far as competition here and i'm going to lean w- w- with tennessee that i think i really respect Brayble and i think he has a you know probably a solid game plan to defend lamar jackson
1: all right well difference of opinion here on this one again for me so uh <laughs> I, I think I'll stick with one side bet on the game. I know you, you owe me a few dinners anyway. So, you know, when I come, yeah, out- I don't know if it's a dinner bet. Uh,
0: you know, I think I'd rather the dinner bet. I was looking a little bit more on Buffalo Indy. I'll say this, man. I think you are paying a big premium on Buffalo, especially just a few weeks ago, Buffalo was laying two against Pittsburgh. I bet Buffalo in that game liked them. Keep in mind, Indianapolis, like the week after that was laying a point at Pittsburgh. So Buffalo minus two at home against Pittsburgh. Indy was thought to be better than the Steelers the very next week when they were laying a point on the road. And now you're telling me this line is, you know, near a touchdown. If you want a dinner bet, I'll take the Colts uh, instead of this, you know, the Titans Ravens matchup.
1: I think there's a little too much variance in that game between the Colts and the Bills. I'm gonna put my tail and my legs in that one. <laughs> but, I, but I I all right, fine. I'll say this though. Yeah. Can anybody in the AFC beat Kansas City other than Buffalo? No, I, I think Buffalo, I'll, I'll say right now, I mean, Buffalo's I think Buffalo's the second Buffalo's, best team in the AFC by far. Buffalo is playing
0: the best football of anybody in the NFL right now. Yes. Uh, you know, I have a little bit of, I'm a little gun shy to pick Buffalo over Kansas City. Cause I go back to that when Kansas City wanted to play in that Buffalo game. Uh, if you remember the back to the regular season, I think they outgamed Buffalo about like 250 yards on the road. in That one, that, that, that concerns me a little bit, but there's no question. Buffalo is second best team in the AFC. Josh Allen was hurt for that first game though.
1: That was, wasn't that right after he got hurt in the Oakland or the Las Vegas? Oh game? yeah, you're
0: right. No, so, you're right.
1: I forgot you know, about that. So I, whatever, that's fine. I, I just know that next time I go out to Vegas, I'm getting food off a of blessing. I'm getting food off of you. <laughs> I'm not going to pay for anything. So it'd be, perfect. there you go. All right. So let's go to this Chicago, New Orleans game. And, and if you're like me, this is the game that you have the least interest in probably watching as well as betting, but maybe not could be wrong here. New Orleans, a 10 point favorite 47, the total for this one, uh, you know, New Orleans has a million, you know, playoff heartbreaks here. I I don't think one of them happens this week, but you know, would you take them to cover the 10 here against a 500 Chicago team? Nah,
0: I'd probably, I'd lean Chicago. I mean, keep in mind, I mean, Chicago was very competitive against the saints earlier this year at home. I mean, I bet the saints in that matchup and the game went to overtime. I was another frustrating loser for me this year. Uh, I I agree with you to start off. I I'm not going to have other than a pizza bet on this game. And I guess where I want to go is the over. I mean, Chicago's found their offense a little bit here down the stretch. 5 of the last 6 games that went over for Chicago. This time of year you always got to worry about whether you don't in the dome. Uh lean over for me, but nothing nothing more than a ham sandwich.
1: Yeah, it's just it's there's something about this game that just seems unappealing. You know, and, and I don't know if it's just kind of an unattractive matchup cuz You know, I'm I'm not a huge believer in Chicago. I think New Orleans is a very good team. You know, if their defense shows up here in the playoffs, I think that you could make a case they're the best team in the NFC. But, you know, I don't know what Breeze is going to look like. Hopefully they get Michael Thomas back this week. I know he's practicing. Kamara's a massive question mark still. I I, I don't see a whole lot of, of reasons to, you know, play this one, especially when I've got some stronger opinions on the other games. And look, if I'm playing all six games this weekend, thinking I have an edge. Uh, that's a, probably a mistake on my part. You know, if very I'm,
0: good point. If very I'm, strong point. If
1: I'm playing them because I'm going to watch them and because it's the playoffs and I'm going to bet, you know, smaller on them, that's cool. But you know, I mean, you know, nothing says you have to bet all six of these games. And maybe that theory applies here as well to the last game of the wild card weekend, Cleveland and Pittsburgh Steelers, anywhere from five and a half to six and a half. Some five and a halfs have popped back up at some of the sharper global markets. A lot of six around the U.S. markets, total 47 and a half. And, you know, so far there hasn't been any more Browns news to come out over the last couple of days. But we know that's certainly a possibility as we head into this game. Did you have a position on this one before all the COVID stuff and before this line kind of ran out?
0: I did. My top play was Pittsburgh. And I know it's easy to say, you know, the lines moved a couple of points, but I'd still would bet my, right now still I bet Pittsburgh, even though it's moved to a couple of points and I'd lay the six points here with the Steelers and, you know, call me cynical, but following, you know, Cleveland Browns football for the last 20, 25 years, I, I, I can't imagine anybody's having, you know, being very confident wanting to bet Cleveland at this point, Pittsburgh's absolutely owned them, especially at home. 17 straight home wins against Cleveland. And then you could say, oh, this is a different Cleveland team. The, all, most of those teams were garbage. I mean, the Steelers beat them 38-7 to at home this year. I think Kevin Stefanski is really good. And the fact that he's, you know, you tell me if I'm wrong, but, I mean, he's, he's obviously, you know, a play caller. And, I mean, uh, an actual guy that's calling plays, I mean, is worth something to the line. And to take him out of there – I think it's just devastating for a team that, that's looking to have confidence. Steelers had the best defense, according to DVOA. Cleveland played one of the weakest schedules in the NFL and, and got outscored despite an 11 and 5 record. So, playoff experience, series experience, this, the COVID situation. I know it's very public, but I, I, you know what? I'll go down. If Pittsburgh doesn't cover, then I'm not going to have any regrets but laying the points here with the Steelers.
1: To play devil's advocate, to, you know, stick up for for my hometown team that, you know, I've, I've certainly have a, a lot of bad memories with. The fact that they've been outscored for the season doesn't really bother me that much because they got blown out in week one by Baltimore. We all know John Harbaugh has money in week one and the Browns' new coaching staff, all that, no preseason, so on and so forth that game against Pittsburgh, you know, Baker throws an early pick six that really put Cleveland out of their game plan. And, you know, those scripted plays, I mean, you know, those are things that are very important. Coaches hold those near and dear. The idea of giving up a pick six early in the game, not really being able to go through the game script that you had, it kind of allowed Pittsburgh to run out and and sort of take care of the Browns in that game. So there is that, I mean, the, the two big blowouts did impact their point differential. They won a lot of close games. They're a better team to play as an underdog. There's no denying that I played Pittsburgh minus four and a half as the COVID news was breaking, not as a position necessarily, but just, okay. Stefanski's got it. Van Pelt could very well get it. Those guys obviously work hand in hand with Baker Mayfield. He's exposed to those guys all the time. Defensively. They're already a mash unit where they've got COVID guys. They've got injured guys. I mean, they're playing dudes off the practice squad. Robert Jackson last week. Wasn't even on the team like three weeks ago. There are a lot of reasons not to like Cleveland in this game. And and that's why it would be Pittsburgh or nothing for me. But as far as a true position now at 6, I don't think I could take anything. I don't think Pittsburgh's very good. I don't think the Steelers are a good football team. Offensively they're below average, defensively yep. with all the injuries, you know, they're not a great unit there. They've lost some of their speed rushers. They will at least get TJ Watt back this week. I just don't think Pittsburgh is that good of a team and frankly I will fade them next week. I don't care who they play. Yeah. And I just, I think that they're one and done if they beat the Browns here. I think that's probably the strongest thing is I hope Pittsburgh wins big if they're going to win this game so that it's easier for me to go against them next week. Probably
0: would play Baltimore. I'm not Baltimore, but play uh, Buffalo on the road. So yeah, I, I bet Buffalo there. I totally agree with that. And look, there wasn't a lot to like about the Steelers down the stretch last six games. Uh, but I did like their fight. I mean, just as in a franchise, if you're a fan of, you got to appreciate, you know, coming from when they're dead in the water against the Colts, they rally, get the win. And I mean, with their backups last week, the fight claw and scratch against the Browns. I mean, you talk about hindsight being 2020. I can't believe I didn't, you know, have a bigger bet on, on Pittsburgh last week, plus 10 against the Browns. Uh, I, I just, I've seen, I've seen this story so many times. Uh, I just, I, 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 I'm going to be very surprised. And I think it would be a, a big black eye on Pittsburgh if they don't take care of business here by taking care of business winning, but by, you know, more, at least more than a field goal, at least if not, you know, a touchdown or more, if they can't get it against this Cleveland team. then of course my bigger bet will be fading the Steelers next week.
1: I gotta say, man, I, I wonder here, this will be the last point I make in the NFL. I wonder how many millions of Buffalo, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh three team, six point teasers there are gonna be uh, out there in the in the marketplace this week. I mean, you know, teasing Buffalo to a pick'em, Pittsburgh to a pick'em, and Tampa Bay below three, the public's gonna flock to that like crazy. I I'm just curious to see which one of those teams ends up screwing it up.
0: Oh, you know one will. Uh yeah, I mean, the I'm glad you used the word public. I don't think a lot of pros no. they, they want that. They want that key number. You only get that in the Tampa Bay game. Uh, yeah, public's going to be doing that, <laughs> and I'm wondering if if they do those, you know, super, you know, the teasers, uh, those 10.3 team ones. I wonder how many people are going to be doing that. You know, there's going to be at least one game that, that really
1: upsets the Apple card no there's gonna have to be i mean last week the, the last couple of weeks public's done really well over the sports books from what i remember so you know we'll see if that changes on a dime here for the wild card weekend but always enjoyable insightful great to chat with brad powers professional better and handicapper from bradpowersports.com and brad what's happening over at the website right now brother?
0: Yeah, it's called my Powers Picks Newsletter. And uh, if you're looking for not only the rest of this season, but all of next season, both NFL and college, real simple, it's 69 bucks. And you're covered all the way through next year's Super Bowl. By next year's Super Bowl, I mean the 2022 Super Bowl. So 69 bucks, check it out. You can download past issues for free, see what I'm all about. You get picks, you get information, you get my power rings, you name it. It's a one-stop shop for both college football and the NFL.
1: And of course, uh, you're you're wiping the dust off the college basketball stuff now too, right?
0: Yeah, I'm getting easing my way into it a little bit. Had a, a really nice winner on Kansas the other night, and thought, hey, I could do this. I, I, I'm ready to go. And then was <laughs> really humbled last night taking Minnesota against Michigan.
1: Yeah, well, you no know, college basketball tough not to crack, especially with you know I mean this year it's just it's insanity with the way the schedules have kind of played out all the COVID pauses and all that, but I know you're uh, doing your due diligence on college hoops. I'm sure you'll be uh, you know, doing some more stuff with that. And, and who knows, maybe we'll be able to talk about that here a little bit more uh, in future weeks, but Brad, always a treat. Thank you so much, man. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. There you go. There's professional better and handicapper Brad powers from Brad at Brad powers and the number seven on Twitter. Coming up on our Friday edition of ATS Radio, we're going to put a bow on the Circus Sports Million with Chris at Las Vegas. Chris, who finished second and fifth in the Circus Sports Million with his two entries. We'll talk about his thought process for contests. He's been very, very good with them in the past. Then we'll also talk a little bit with him about his thoughts here for the Wild Card weekend. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.